Hello, 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 and welcome to the podcast to each her own. Much like Nevada, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia, I'm just feeling a little bit blue today. Danielle! I f***ing hate Donald Trump, and I want him to go down in flames. Ronnie! So we're several months into the pandemic now, and the election is happening. While we're recording this, we're sort of waiting for results to come out, but we thought it would be a great idea to just reflect on what has happened this year because the pandemic has really permeated most of it. So I think this will be fun and like a mini therapy sesh. I think at least for the average American, COVID and COVID lockdown started kind of mid-March. So we're pretty deep into this with unfortunately no end in sight. Um, However, I think a lot of people have had to learn a lot about themselves and about their communities in this trying time. So we're going to discuss the serious and the silly and everything in between about how the last eight, nine months have been since the world ended. I have a few COVID at a glance stats just to kind of, you know, sometimes looking at the numbers really makes it feel even more real. It makes this easier to talk about. It's less abstract. So the coronavirus disease 2019 is shortened to COVID-19. We just kind of call it COVID or she who shall not be named. Miss Rona. Miss Rona. She's never leaving. She's back for season 11. The word Corona means crown in Spanish. And it's called this because the virus has these sort of interesting protruding things coming off of it. And when you look at like the top part of the the virus, when it's under a microscope, it looks like a crown. So I do feel bad for that Corona beer brand. Like I don't like their beer, but that's, that's just a tough call for them. Could not have foreseen the future, but apparently they're doing fine. So whatever. So I looked at the CDC and U Chicago Medicine for some some stats. So here's the timeline. A cluster of severe pneumonia cases were reported on New Year's Eve of 2019 in Wuhan, China. The city is 12 hours south of Beijing and nine hours west of Shanghai for context. And evidence suggests that the earliest cases might have even been seen in November, but we are still learning about the origins of the virus. Let's not go blaming bats or the Chinese, okay? And the cases in the U.S. likely originated from contact between us and Europeans and the Chinese during travel, whatever. The total U.S. cases today, as of November 6th at 3.15 p.m., are 9,581,770. So we're like 9.5 million cases in. And let's see if this started in March. We're nine months in. Uh, Devastating. And then the total U.S. deaths are 234,264. And this is just what's reported pertaining to COVID. So who knows what other details there are. But 9.5 million cases That's insane. That doesn't even include the people who like are transferring it, but don't know they had it. And I actually got a COVID antibodies test this morning because we're going to see our grandparents for Thanksgiving and we don't want to spread anything, you know? Yeah. So the craziest thing is 9.5 million cases and we don't truly understand what the impacts 
of this are going to look long term. So obviously there's a huge health crisis that we're dealing with currently with trying to get the coronavirus under control and reduce the amount of community spread. Um, however, all of these people who have had it and survived, which is great, may have a lot of health issues down the road, and we don't really know what kind of damage it's going to be doing to people's lungs. And it's just, it's scary because this entire year has been, I have no idea what will happen next month. Yeah, it really is super tough to be so uncertain about the future. It doesn't matter if you're like a planner or not. And I think the hardest part of all this is it's become politically divisive. I really hate that that's what it's become because wearing masks is political and we're starting to tie it into freedom and stuff like that. And there are all these surges in cases that are happening regionally. I've heard this be compared to the HIV AIDS crisis because the crisis started and exploded in cities and then it gradually moved to more rural areas. And we're totally seeing that right now. The Midwest is like the hot spot for this third peak. And we are nine months in and we're already on our third peak. It's just ridiculous. Every single day really is a a new journey with the pandemic. And on top of that, there's a lot of, there's just a lot going on. So it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I think it's been a really, really particularly trying year for a lot of people. And I personally have been very fortunate in that it hasn't impacted me in a horrible way. No one I love has been impacted Um, and I've been able to keep the job offer I had and move and kind of do the regular stuff. But even though it was overwhelmingly a pretty safe, okay year for me and my family, I think we still need to hold space to grieve the little things that we've lost this year. Like we didn't get to graduate or we didn't get to travel or we haven't seen our friends in months and months or just like the underlying anxiety that we're all feeling right now. I think it's totally okay to just take a moment and take a breath and say, even if I haven't been horribly affected by this, it's been a tough year and we need to hold space for those feelings. Yeah, that's so true. That's a good transition into the question of how COVID has changed your year really starting in about March. COVID had started in early March, I really remember there being early cases in Dallas, which led to our school canceling classes after spring break. So after spring break, we were not coming back to in-person classes. And I remember when they made that call, I kind of thought to myself like, okay, cool. We're going to go online classes for like two weeks. We're going to shut this thing down and we're going to move on. I don't even think people were really wearing masks at the time. I don't think we really knew what was happening. And in this span of the week that was spring break and the week or two following it, it really came to um, a boiling point in America. And we started getting really scared and nervous, and that led us into our first lockdown. So definitely it's been a weird, strange year navigating doing school online, navigating starting a job in a new place in the middle of a pandemic, and navigating now work from home. It's just been a year of constant, constant change. But I mean, as I said before, 
I guess I've been very fortunate in the grand scheme of things. What about you, Ronnie? It took about two weeks of processing to figure it out. I did end up going on my spring break trip, and I just went to Sedona. So it was kind of the perfect place to be. Not very populous. We were outside. No one was at the Grand Canyon. And then we came back, and two weeks later, classes were officially online. And that's when I was like, oh, this is a real thing. And realizing how much of an international issue it was. And I am so surprised that it really only got here or we had only really known or recognized it in March because it was sort of simmering across the globe in November. But it was a big deal. It uh, disrupted a lot. The only time I really cried about it was when I got the email that classes were officially online and I, I knew we would not be having an in-person graduation in May as planned. And I was really sad because I would never get to study in the library again. Like I didn't get to kind of process what that change would do to the end of the year. I didn't get like the closure I wanted because those two weeks of processing were completely off campus, disconnected. Like there, there was no last day of class, last time with the professor. I joked leaving office hours right before spring break, like, oh, hope I get to see you again. <laughs> and uh, I have not seen these people since. So it was kind of a, a shake up. But I think once I recognized that we were in it for the long haul, I was able to manage my expectations and figure out like a routine and get to know who Ronnie is during COVID, you know. I think that's such a good point. It has been a continuous lesson on managing expectations. Like, if that's the slogan for the year, it's manage your expectations. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it seems vain. I, I know it's not like so many people have, like so many people had to start college in the pandemic. I had to end it. And, you know, to me, that's definitely, it's not as bad. These poor kids grow so much during that first year or two of college. And that growth is happening in a different way. And I asked one of the, one of my friends who's a year younger and she's still in school. And I asked her what it's like being on campus during such a polarized time, because I always felt like the population of our school was really like robust, if that makes sense. Like you've got your conservatives, your liberals, everyone is figuring it out. They say that the college is the most liberal time of your life. And I didn't never, I never knew who the liberals were in my class. Like I didn't know who to bond with until we found each other. Yes. Um, no, we had a very conservative college, but I would say, I think it's safe to say that SMU, at least in terms of political allegiance, is a very good little model of the United States. I'd say it's about 50-50. I think you have extremes on both ends. I think you have probably 30% of people that are completely apathetic to the whole thing. Um, so I, in a weird way, it kind of prepared me to manage my expectations about America. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It definitely felt like a little microcosm and I asked my friend, like, what is it like right now during an election year? I was a freshman when that Hillary Trump election happened. And so 
you know, I'm off in the world now and she's experiencing this for the first time being on campus. And she said she doesn't even know because she only sees her close group of friends because it's COVID and like you're not actively socializing with a ton of different people. So I was also struck by the idea that the most political exposure or exposure to different beliefs is happening online, not in person. And part of the benefits of college is being challenged in person and thinking on your feet and meeting new people all the time. And the only new person I've met in the last nine months was a hairdresser. Yeah, no, it's really tricky. So yes, it's happening online, but it's also sort of live because it is like in the video, like Zoom world, you can have those live think on your feet moments. But at the same time, you can only have those in an organized setting. So it's in class time, it's in a club meeting, it's in different preordained situations, whereas the best conversations are always organic and it's when you're hanging out with your friends and really trying to like get to the bottom of something. Um, and the casualness, I think, is really important to make it feel feel comfortable to have some of those deeper conversations. And it's I struggle to do that over Zoom except with people I've already have that soul connection with. Obviously, I have no issue talking to you on Zoom because I already know you, but trying to build a connection like we have over Zoom, I don't know if it would happen, to be honest. And that's really unfortunate to all these baby freshmen who are starting college, and this is their introduction to people. Totally. I was even talking to my boyfriend about what it's like to work from home for both of us. And, well, he said that he feels like super stressed. He likes the lack of commute and all of that, but he's not with any person in person throughout the day. He is just staring at his computer. There's no camaraderie that you can get like in person. And you know, when like your boss comes over to your desk to, to tell you about something stressful or like a quick fast turnaround that comes up, they're there in person with you. Maybe like my bosses will like put their hand on my shoulder and they've all been women and they've been very sweet. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry about this. Just come over to my desk if you have any questions. It's so different when you're just like getting emails and everyone's kind of desensitized to being like sympathetic. I don't know. It's it's a, it's crazy. This is going down a rabbit hole, but working from home like has its benefits and stuff. But all of this Zoom interaction, it's sort of, I don't know, it filters out a lot of that human contact that we so need and have evolved to have. Like, this is really unnatural for us if you're not supplementing this with other in-person interactions that are safe, you know? It's really true. Like, we are, we're pack animals at the end of the day, and it's really hard for us because we're not built to be alone. But the work from home stuff is a little tricky Um, I went and was in the office for a little bit, and now we're work from home again. Um, So I was fortunate enough to get to start in an office and get to meet like a few people because our density had to be really low. So there was only a handful of people in the office at all. So I got to meet them and they got to help me. And at the beginning of my job, I would talk on the phone with people a lot and they would like teach me how to do stuff. And it would be like kind of that Zoom conversation. And it's so hard to read people because I was like, oh, my God, he's mad at me. It's like, no, he's not. Like, no one's mad at you. And I was just, like, nervous and, like, couldn't tell over the phone. I was like, I'm making a bad impression of this person who right now is just a little box on a screen. Even in person, when I'm talking to the cashier, I can't hear a word the bitch is saying. That mask is covering it up. And 
you can't read people's facial expressions. Like, everything about this is ridiculous. So, sucks and uh, blah. I had a cashier sing a song to me on election day, and I was just like, <laughs> like it was kind of soothing, and are you a real person, or are you like an angel sent from above to soothe me today? Yeah, speaking of the election, how do you think this compares to the last one in 2016? It's uncomparable. There hopefully will never be an election like this ever again. But I think in 2016, I mistakenly, when Trump was elected, I like didn't really think much of it. I was like, oh, okay, like this is happening now. And I didn't think, I like so firmly believed in the balance of power that I was like, okay, yeah, he's a horrible batshit crazy person but I don't think anything horrible is gonna happen because like how much like how much power does the president really have and like won't senate and congress keep it in check and I just like wasn't super worried about it and I know people the day election results came out last time were like in tears devastated so scared it was traumatic um for a lot of people and I at the time was coming from a very privileged position where it didn't really affect me. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, And I kind of thought people were overreacting. And now here we are four years later, uh, 230,000 Americans haven't lived through his administration due to complete negligence. And it is so apparent that presidents really do matter and that he was unqualified and unequipped and unwilling to do the job for American people. And so I'm very glad even though it's been a show of an election and a crazy stressful year, I think we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I am so thankful we had the opportunity to get him out of the White House. I was so devastated. It ruined my, like the end of the semester for me. I was so surprised. I think that's the thing. I was not at all expecting it. And I was uh, anticipating the worst. Yeah. Thank God we live in a sort of democracy. I'll call it a lowercase d democracy. I will say that this pandemic is like a curse, but in some ways it's a blessing in disguise. There are some silver linings. And what I think that this shows to people who actually understand what's happening. (laughs) There are a lot of people who, who clearly don't. But what people are realizing is the president actually does play a huge role in your everyday life. And I am guilty of saying in the past that, like, I don't know, I don't feel like it affects me that much, Um, which was, you know, probably true. But Trump's also like, he's not smart enough to be a Stalin, if that makes sense. Like, he kind of caused all of this, not from a place of evil, but from a place of ignorance and like stupidity, which is evil in its own way. But people are paying attention to the news in greater numbers than ever. The turnout for this presidential election is the biggest ever period in this country. And that's amazing. So people really realize how much of a voice they really have. The idea that your vote doesn't count doesn't matter anymore. And the idea that you could stay out of politics doesn't matter anymore. His administration and his presidency dismantled that whole idea. So I think that's good. Like, it's the storm that happens before the Mayflowers or whatever come. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I hope we bring some of this stuff with us. And I hope that the people, A, I hope we continue to make voting more accessible and easier. 
clearly you'll have more participation when you make it as accessible as possible. So I think we should have more absentee ballots. I think we should have more mail-in voting. I think we should do drive-through voting. I think there was excellent, excellent ideas that were coming up that were delivered by problem solvers this year. And I think we should maintain that policy moving forward so we can have a healthier democracy because we need people to vote and we need people to be engaged. Furthermore, I think a lot of people voted blue for the first time in their lives. And I don't think there's, I don't think they're going to do that and then completely walk away from it. I think all the suburban white women that Trump said, we need to get your husbands back to work, took it personally. And I think all of the women in general who watched them shove through another Supreme Court nominee after, after they already shoved through Brett Kavanaugh in a complete and a complete power grab and a complete fuck you to women everywhere. Just saying like, we don't care. We're going to do it anyways. And I don't think anyone is coming back to the Republican Party after that. I distinctly remember, like I had been evolving politically for a long time, basically starting at the beginning of college. And when the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation went through and I watched that horror show, I was like, I'm done. The Republican Party and the conservative movement is dead to me. They have betrayed every single woman, every single victim, and they have discredited so many people and they have re-traumatized so many people. And I am done and I'm walking away from it forever. And I hope that people have seen the malice of the Republican Party. And I think Trump has killed it. And I think we will continue to see more and more activism, more and more political engagement, and more and more people moving away from the Republican Party because they've gotten to a point where you can't go back. Trump got to pick three out of the nine lifelong Supreme Court justices. That's how much a f***ing president has control over your life, long after he's out four years later. He got to pick three of the nine, and he didn't win the popular vote. And another two of them were put in by Bush, who also didn't win the popular vote. So five of our nine have been nominated and pushed through by presidents who did not have the popular vote. And if that is not the biggest glaring warning sign you have ever heard about the Electoral College and the current health and validity of the Supreme Court, you're not paying attention. But that's another podcast. Well, one thing I will say is I was recently listening to one of my fave podcasts with one of my fave authors, Intellects. Um, it was Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, and then he was interviewing Yuval Noah Harari, such a babe. Dax is sort of, like, baffled by people who are religious and conservative, and I am too. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it, he has a strong opinion, but he and Harari were sort of laughing at people who subscribe to the idea of tradition and the past and history being so conclusive and absolute and right. And so people who are constitutionalists and textualists, and they think that whatever was said at one point is word, like Christianity is 2000 years old. And in the grand scheme of humanity, that's nothing. I mean, we as a species started diverging in our own direction evolutionarily about 200,000 years ago. And so for 2000 out of the 200,000 years, for like this religion, just as an example, to be word and truth is interesting if you subscribe to evolution. And so these people who are like 
using the constitution and like these founding documents as like this sort of foundational ideological substantial text like it's just kind of silly i i really hope that people can start valuing progress more um and i think that's another thing that the coronavirus has shown us like yeah we we may feel invincible at times and like our tech is amazing and we are learning and trying to conquer this virus faster than any other virus uh, before because we have some of the resources, you know, but um, progress is really important and being able to grow and learn and like admit your faults and recognize the flaws in the past, which we've been covering in our last three episodes about America. It's so important. How many Republicans does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know, but it's probably 49% of the country who's racist as It takes three of them, one to change the light bulb and two to talk about how much they liked the other dead, broken, not working light bulb. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I, uh, I fell for it. I think it's time to try some stuff. This is the American experiment. And I think so much of our governing principles that people are trying to add value and not just value, but like morality to are based on really outdated stuff. And there's no reason to continue to grasp at it. Like it's the only possible absolute truth. So I just think that's BS because clearly what happened, like, let's talk about me personally, who I was four years ago is not something that I'm like, oh yeah, hundred percent. I'm super proud of who that was. I'm pretty proud of like who I am now, but just in four years, I got smarter and better. So why are we holding on to such old and outdated documents and terminology and ideals when the entire country is so different? That was our infancy. We can do better and we should do better and we shouldn't be scared to try, which I kind of think they are. Yeah, I have a dear, dear friend from college. We just caught up and FaceTimed earlier this week, and she did vote for Biden. And I don't know, she's cool, but she's one of those people who says she's never been super into politics. And she said that this election really excited her to do that. And I thought that was just a really cool take. Like a lot of people are scared to admit that they don't know much about it or they don't even know where to start and so we had a really great chat about one of my favorite four minute npr updates they they update you with the news every hour on the hour it's like four to five minutes bite-sized pieces and i started listening to those in high school when i was getting ready when i was first starting to think about politics and it was a great way to gradually build up my knowledge kind of start from there and then things that seemed interesting or I wanted to learn more about, I could go to the news and talk about it with people. And I knew what was happening that day, which is really important. And I thought it was cool that she asked me what sources I like and I recommended some. And she said she's excited to just, you know, begin learning herself and finding her own opinion and learning how to think for herself in this world where we're throwing so much information. And it just made me love her more that she is excited to grow and recognize the opportunity. And that's why these conversations with people you care about are so important because you can share this information. You're not alone. Like when I'm reading the news, I feel alone. But when I talk about it, I know I'm not. You know? Yeah, I think that's a great point. 
And I think we should 100% be meeting people where they are in terms of political engagement. And I think that's been a weak part of a lot of campaigns and a lot of political leaders is finding a way to be accessible and welcoming to everyone, regardless of background and knowledge. And so it's really important to get that excitement around you for sure. But it's also really important to teach people like what you're about and what your policies mean. And you need to make that accessible and easy to understand for everyone. I understand a lot of politicians are lawyers writing this policy in like legal terms, but you need to be able to explain and market your ideas. Especially when it relates to the pandemic, which directly affects your life. And knowing that all these politicians have a lot of power in what happens. I don't know. Does the president really decide who gets the vaccines? Um, Like he's not like they're working independently. And so it's more of a matter of like the way they promote the idea of a vaccine and like make it available and accessible to people. Um, So it's kind of important to know both ends, like know the science behind what's happening and know the people who make that science and that knowledge available to you. What are some things you've learned in the last few months, either about yourself or about others? Yeah, it's been a period of (laughs) self-care. I found fitness such a great way to stay sane, and I actually felt like I had more time to work out and like be healthy um, throughout. So I'm really glad because that's been really good for my mental health. And I realized I don't need a gym membership to stay fit and be healthy. I've been going on walks even when it was super hot in August in Texas, like walks and jogs. And I found so many super great YouTube channels with yoga and stuff. So I, I listed my faves. I love aloe yoga pop sugar and lululemon those are like my favorite free channels on youtube with yoga i also learned that i had been blaming not doing things on being busy my whole life really i'm like a workaholic um and i love to say yes to things so you know i'm learning that but when i have had slower weeks and still not done things, I'm like, oh my god, I'm a procrastinator just like everyone else. So I think like the pandemic proves that um, it kind of proves where some of the problems come from. Some of them are inward, (laughs) internal problems. What about you? Yeah, um, I think I have learned that I am inclined to doom scroll. So I would just spend hours and hours on social media just being like, oh my God, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. And at no point was that making me feel better or making me more informed. Like I was doing it to an extreme because I was like lonely bored or whatever. Um, So I realized I had some unhealthy coping mechanisms. So I've been working on those. And honestly, my biggest struggle was the time in between finishing classes and starting work because I moved to a new place. So I didn't know a lot of people. And I also didn't have a thing to do. And idle hands are the devil's playground. Good Lord, I was so bored and doing such dumb things just trying to like entertain myself. But a few things that came out out of the pandemic, I decided early on that I just don't have the emotional capacity to watch sad TV or new TV or anything of the variety. 
So I have basically most of the pandemic, I only watched RuPaul's Drag Race because that was about the level of seriousness I could handle. And recently I've restarted MASH because although, yes, it's a more serious show, I've watched it probably like 10 times. I know every episode. I know every character. And so it feels like coming home. It feels like a hug that I'm just back to that show. So that's what I've been doing. Just keeping it light, keeping it fun. Don't stress yourself out for no good reason. mostly devastated about the pandemic because it meant I had to take classes online and go back home, which I love my home, but it meant I had to leave my friends earlier than I was already dreading. Like I was so not looking forward to graduation happening and me having to do long distance with my romantic partner and all of my best friends who had supported me during the last four years. Like it's really wild losing your support system physically But what is great about the pandemic is physical distance is no longer an obstacle in the name of friendship. Like we can FaceTime and Zoom and that's normal. We're FaceTiming and Zooming our neighbors practically. Um, And so you being in a different time zone across the country was no problem. And I think that before this, it might have been a little harder to stay connected but it feels normal to have a little FaceTime call in place of an in-person wine night and I think that's really cool and I've I've translated that to other friendships as well just it's a it's so nice to be liberated and to maintain these relationships in spite of physical boundaries yes I think that is a wonderful point and so in addition to more FaceTime, Zoom calls, staying in touch with people far away that we love. What are other things that have been ushered in by COVID that you hope stay? I know there's been a lot of bad negative side effects, but I think there have been some like great ideas that maybe can stick around. You mentioned a lot of the flexible voting options. So super into that. Um, I just had lunch with a friend today and they had always done a QR code for their beer menu because their beer menu is like a huge list of drafts. It's like 30, which is pretty big for the town I live in. And they had finally transitioned into a fully digital menu for everything, sides, the entree. And we were noting how much easier it was for the waiters and waitresses to swing by our table and not have to like fumble with plates and um, menus and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of cool and it saves money on paper. And the whole reason they're doing this is so you're not touching menus and like spreading COVID that way. So I thought that was really cool. Also, I have never liked standing near strangers. So I'm probably going to keep everyone at a six foot distance uh, long after this. That's great. I think masks when you're sick, it needs to happen. That'll just really reduce flu numbers. That'll really reduce our flu numbers. Um, I love the all the takeout menus and all the takeout food. Um, businesses have gotten creative. They've taken out the front window of their shop and made it a delivery window. And I've always been a huge fan of takeout. Like, I love picking up food someone else made, 
bringing it home and just eating it in the comfort of my home. And now with COVID, I think a lot more restaurants are offering takeout or making it easier to get. And I've really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed all the outdoor eating over the summer that just felt so healthy and nice and all the fresh air. It's getting cold here in Colorado, so we're not really having that option anymore. And eating inside the restaurants is like a little iffy. So I think I'm probably not going to be at restaurants. But thank God, everywhere has takeout right now. And that's a really great way to support local restaurants and stay safe. So I really, I've loved that. And it's helped me try new things, you know, getting on the food delivery apps and finding restaurants maybe I wouldn't have known were so close to me or wouldn't have tried previously. So I think that's a big plus. I was so devastated in April when I went to Trader Joe's and there was no flour in sight because I've been baking my whole life. And I was like, so now you fuckers are going to learn how to make bread and bake. What? What? And then I needed to pick up some sewing needles um, still long, long, like several months ago. And the entire creative group of aisles in Walmart was sold out to the max. Like I was lucky to find some needles. And then I finally went back recently to get some sewing materials for my Halloween costume. And I was like, oh my gosh, they have so much stuff. I didn't know it inspired me. Like I, there's fabric everywhere. And so while it was at first a, an impediment to my creative endeavors, it was really exciting for me to know that everyone else like was baking bread during the pandemic and learning how to sew and cross stitch. Like that's really cool to me because I've complained many a time about boring people and you're trying to have a conversation and they just like don't have interests. So I kind of hope that people keep these hobbies around and like stay creative because being creative when you're bored, we've talked about this. It's such an asset and it's so fulfilling. And so the fact that when everything closed down, people flocked to ways to be productive and creative on their own. That is like the cutest little story to come of this, you know? Boredom is part of the creative process is so true. Like it really is. Um, So I'm glad people are finding new things and trying out some new hobbies. Um, It pushed me with the time I had to get back into an old hobby of riding horses, which has been really nice and having that activity that's both physical fitness and just getting to enjoy spending time with the women at the barn and riding different horses has been really nice. Um, So I think it gave us all time to reflect on what really matters and what's important and what we want to prioritize in our lives. And a little reset was really helpful. And in John Mulaney's words, canceling plans is like heroin. It is so nice to not have that social pressure to see people. And like, whenever I'm saying yes to someone, it's someone I trust. I know that we've been safe and that we will be safe when we're hanging out. And I'm seeing the people who really matter to me. So it's also just nice to not feel obligated to like, be around a bunch of strangers who are gonna get you sick and kill your family. I know this sounds like, I mean, this probably isn't the best. However, social distancing, smaller group gatherings, no parties, 
and like limited interaction with strangers has been the world I've been asking for for a long time. Like I did not need it to come in this manner, but as an introvert, I'm kind of thriving with some of this um, to an extent. Obviously, there's definitely been some lows where it's just been like, I am lonely and I am usually not lonely. Um, so, I mean, you do have to figure out what makes you happy and prioritize that and who you want to see and who you can see and make time for what matters. And it's been a big self-care year, which is super fun. And there's all sorts of things that I've thrown into the self-care bucket. I've done hair care and I've done skin care and I've done bubble baths and I've done inappropriate coping mechanisms and we just jumble them all together and call it all self-care and it's great and no one is going to call you on it and I'm not going to call anyone else on it because this year whatever you need to do to get yourself through the day is fine by me like I am a huge fan of if you want to pretend watching tv for 12 hours is self-care this year it is that's self-care this year check good work if anything, COVID has like fixed my drinking habits because I'm like, girl, happy hour is not every single day at two o'clock. But what I am hoping for is we as a species have never been united like this. It feels at times and it is very valid to think that we've never been more divided. But at the same time, every single person, and I'm talking even like rural tribes who you wouldn't have suspected them to get COVID, they did. The entire species on this planet is being united by this pandemic. And there is something interesting there. I hope um, some good can come of it. And I'm really excited to read more literature that comes out about this now, but especially after this ends, hopefully, eventually. Because I think reflecting on this in the moment is really cool. And then reflecting on this after it happens will be super valuable. I think another really important lesson for the country about COVID is we live in a globalized society. Whether you like it or not, we do. Case in point, the whole world is in this collective experience right now. And it's you can't separate yourself from people. You can't remove yourself from these situations. Like we are all in it and we are all in it together. And my hope is that we will be through it soon, but I think there are a lot of big lessons to take to take away. After all of this reflection, what do you hope for in 2021? I hope for less division. This election is so important and it feels like, it feels so hopeful. Like once we have a person who's more qualified and more interested in doing the job of president, we will be able to move past this. And I think it's been a year where hope was hard to find. And so the biggest thing I hope for, for 2021, is that it feels more hopeful and it feels better than this year has. I do too. I think that there will be strength in the familiarity of the pandemic being able to start the year and tackle whatever it is that we can. I am not expecting the pandemic to end soon. Fauci has said we'll probably be wearing masks into 2022. And 
hearing him say that was honestly super cool. I'm a big fan of the truth, even when I don't want to hear it. And him being right on literally every single prediction he has made so far instills even more trust that I have in him. So to me, I'm just really looking forward to being able to tackle this, knowing that we've already done it for nine months. We can do it for another year if that's what it takes. But um, I'm feeling like hopeful, way hopeful compared to the last few months. And after tonight, I think I'll feel even better. So I'm really excited to do a sort of reflection on the election and see what that brings us. My hot take is that masks are sexy. It's a way for your mouth to play hard to get. You don't know what's under there and you want to. So big fan, masks make you hotter. So all those Republicans out there, make sure you wear them. Yeah, wear your damn mask. Um, My hot take, I don't think it's likely, but I hope that Trump gets a perp walk out of the White House. I think that is the closure and the bookend to this Trump presidency that we need. And I think it would make me personally feel better. Yes, here's the thing. He has gotten off scotch-free his whole thousand years on this planet. (laughs) And I think it's time for karma to do her work. And I hope karma is a... Yeah, yeah. She is in my experience and I haven't I haven't committed tax fraud or anything, so I didn't destroy the country or anything, so Well, a little housekeeping. You can find us over on Instagram at to eat your own pod, no capitals or spaces. Feel free to leave us questions, comments, snide remarks, or recommendations for future episodes. Get excited. Next week we will hopefully be debriefing on the results of the election and talking about all of the winners and the losers and kind of discuss what that might bring for 2021, which we hope will be a hopeful year. Yay! I am super excited. All of these topics are super intertwined. So I love learning with you and I love you too. I love you most.